I'd like to read some promises about Jesus and from Jesus for you to be impressed with from the New Testament. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the supreme one, the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are all kinds of promises like that in the New Testament. All kinds of promises about if you trust in Christ, you're guaranteed eternal life, benefiting you in this life and in the next. And we're not hoping in hope. We're hoping in the one who was bodily raised from the dead. All kinds of promises like this. All kinds of promises like the one I just read with Jesus saying, Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest from your sin. Rest from your religion. Rest from your labors. Come to me. I, I have the power to do that. There are all kinds of promises like that. Those are the ones I could think up on my mind, pull up on my computer and put in my notes just off the top of my head. We could sit around and talk about the many, many, many great promises of God in Christ that are absolutely staggering to the mind. He's matchless. He has no rivals. If what he says is true, if who he claimed to be is who he really is, here's the question. Why doesn't everybody become a Christian? Why doesn't everyone you tell about Jesus say, I trust in him like you do? I know for me as a brand new Christian, I, I was under the illusion because the light went off, somebody explained the gospel to me, and, and I had to have a, this major radical shift in thinking. But when they explained it to me, I'm like, absolutely. I trust in Him, and I don't trust in myself, and I don't trust in religion, and I don't trust in other people. He is my Savior. And so many of you are going, yeah. And if you're not going, yeah, so many of you, at least internally, are saying, that's right. I've been there. I've been like you. And then I'm thinking to myself as a brand new Christian, if I can explain this to other people, and it's not just other people in general, I'm thinking about people in my life, people I care about, people who are intelligent people, maybe some who aren't, but I'm thinking about individual people that I know and care about, excited, enthusiastic, I can't wait to tell them about this. Because surely, as soon as I explain what's been explained to me and the way it's been explained to me with clarity, they're going to believe too. They're going to believe too. Boy, was I in for a rude awakening, right? Boy, was I naive. Because so many of the people that I explain the truth about Jesus to, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, about his promises, so many of them didn't believe. And it was just like, you know, takes the wind out of your sails and, and you're reeling thinking, what? what's, what's the deal here? And then for the double uppercut to really take the wind out of your sails, still as a new Christian, I'm talking to people who once said they were Christians and now they say they're not Christians, right? If you've been a Christian very long at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is reality where we live. We explain the gospel to people that's as clear as day to us. We're talking about historical facts. We're not talking about fantasies. We're not talking about uh, this is true because I feel it in my heart. We're talking about things that actually happen. And we're encouraging others to trust in Christ like we have trusted in Christ. And they don't. And you're like, what's up with that? And then there are other people that we know and we've known to act and think and talk like Christians. And some of them don't think and talk and act like Christians anymore. This is not a new problem. This problem didn't start when Pat Abendroth became a Christian. <laughs> okay? And some of you have been Christian longer than I have, a lot longer than I have, some of you. And it didn't start with you. This problem has been a problem for a long time. 
It's a problem today, a problem we face. It's a problem the next generation of Christians will face. But this has been going on for a long time, and Jesus gathered his disciples and helped them understand this phenomenon so that they can be better equipped, so that they can think clearly and act clearly as Christian ambassadors who communicate the gospel. Luke chapter 8 is our text. If you haven't already turned there, you can join me in looking at the gospel according to Luke, the good news about Jesus Christ according to Luke. And he is, he being Jesus, going to help his disciples before they go out and communicate the gospel to understand the different kinds of responses, short-term, long-term. Talk about practical, friends. This is tremendously practical. This is so practical that you're going to go to that 4th of July barbecue and you're going to be there with a friend or a neighbor or a relative and you're going to talk to them about Jesus and they're going to respond by embracing. They're going to respond by rejecting. They're going to respond with different kinds of responses. And today we can learn from Jesus on how to be better equipped to understand the phenomenon that's going to go on there. So talk about relevant. If we're Christians, we're ambassadors. We represent the King. We represent the Savior. This is what we do. We speak truthfully of Jesus. You better understand more than meets the eye. Jesus wants you to understand more than meets the eye so you're equipped as, as, as a faithful ambassador. So that's what we're going to do today. It's the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower, whatever you'd like to call it. It doesn't actually say in the text, but usually we call it the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils. Um, by the way, a parable literally just means um, to throw something down next to something else. And so that's what a parable is. Um, Jesus wants to teach a spiritual reality. He does teach a spiritual reality, and he wants to explain it and illustrate it. So he throws a story down next to it. He throws an illustration down next to it so we can understand a parable. Um, from a literary vantage point, a parable is different from an allegory. That's important when you're reading through the New Testament because an allegory um, is a story that has uh, all kinds of hidden meaning. Like every little detail represents some sort of meaning. And a parable, when you work your way through the parables, uh, not so much. There's usually one main point or maybe a couple or a handful or less than that main points. It's just trying to make a simple, profound point and they're not meant to be... Um, detailed intricacies. Uh, there's a lot of fanciful things that go on in the name of parables. Um, people who study these things and people who are um, experts in literature would say that's a foul. You're treating it like an allegory. So we don't want to do that. We'll, we'll benefit from this one in particular because Jesus interprets it for us. So it's so helpful to know that. Well, let's jump right in. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15 uh, this morning and let's just jump right in beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news, that's our word gospel, translated good news, of the kingdom of God. That makes a lot of sense because he's the king. Remember, Old Testament word is Messiah, translated in the New Testament, Christ, exact same word, just translated that way in the New Testament, and that means anointed one, that means king. So here Jesus is going around preaching, proclaiming the good news about himself, that he is the king. In the Old Testament, they were anticipating, they were waiting for an ultimate king to come who would deliver the people ultimately, finally, triumphantly, wonderfully, savingly, and Jesus is going around to all the different towns proclaiming the truth about the kingdom, the truth about the king. He's proclaiming the good news about who he is, is what's going on there. Then it says, and the twelve, that would be the twelve disciples, were with him and also some women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. I don't want to really pause more than just a moment, and just to acknowledge it's so interesting. Again, Luke, the medical doctor, is recording just enough details that we understand that he's being a careful historian. We're talking about real people real lives, different kinds of cultural backgrounds, some of them on the inner circle of culture, some of them maybe not so much. 
intriguing, where the gospel is, is reached already, where, where Christ is reached already, even in Herod's household. Verse 4 says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And everybody in this room who's ever been to Lincoln, Nebraska, knows what he's talking about. Why would I say that? The sower in the capital. You've seen a sower even if you haven't seen a sower. If you've been to Lincoln and you've seen the capital, you might not know what's up on top of the capital, but there's a sower up on top of the capital. And there you have the guy up there with his, with his man purse, um, <laughs> his man bag. No, not actually. He's got the thing slung around his shoulder. He's got the seed bag, and he is sowing the seed. And that is what you would have done in an older culture. This old of a culture, but not even that old of a culture. What do you do when you want to plant seeds? You sow the seeds. Some of you have done this even in your yard with grass seed. You just sow the seeds. I remember my dad had a little red mechanical one. You cranked it and it kind of sowed it this way. But the image is agricultural. You want to understand who I am? You want to understand what's going on here when it comes to the gospel going out to different kinds of people, different kinds of responses? It's a lot like a sower who sows the seed. It's a pretty decent image, one we can all understand, one we can all comprehend, even if we're not living in the old agricultural kind of world. Let's keep going now in verse 5 where it says, And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. That would be the walking path. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away. Because it had no moisture. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 8. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is an important announcement. When Jesus says things like that, He's saying there's something more to it than just a story about a sower. Uh, if you're spiritually in tuned and alert and paying attention, you better pay attention to this because it's really important. Now, we're going to see a shift. And the shift is important to help us understand what's going on here. It's not absolutely crucial, but it's important, I think, because we're going to go from crowds, people from town after town and city after city, and Jesus is really popular right now, so there are the masses of people. But we're going to see now when we go to the next verse, he calls a huddle. <laughs> he calls the twelve. Okay, he, He's going to bring inner circle. He's going to close it in a little bit. Notice what happens in verse 9. And when his disciples asked him, and you can just put your finger there for a second. I, I know this even more so to be the case because when you look at the different gospel accounts and you put all the details together, it's definitely the case. He's gathering the 12 inner circle. Let me talk to you more about this. So to the masses, he does give the parable. Then he calls the huddle and gives them a little bit more. So it's a little bit different. And I'll talk about why that might be important in just a moment. It says in verse 9, His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Just a couple of things to observe here that are important. One would be by way of application. Interpretation and application. Speaks to the masses. Calls the disciples in. By way of application, first and foremost, this is not an evangelistic kind of thing. Maybe the first part is, but so many times we preach the parable of the soils or the sower, and that's, you know, like go-to evangelistic sermon. It's kind of interesting. It's evangelism equipping is what it is. He's gathering the 12 who are going to be sent out to preach the same message. And he says, huddle up, boys. I want you to understand before you too go out how different people are going to respond. So you're equipped so that you know, so that you're not totally blown away, totally discouraged, totally undone by these different kinds of responses that you're going to experience. That's very practical for us. 
It's very relevant for us. I was thankful as a young Christian for somebody to explain this stuff to me for fear that I think I'm just doing it wrong. Because surely, if I just communicate the message to everybody, they're going to believe it because it just makes sense. And, and I believed it. And, and not everybody's believing it, so I'd need a different methodology. No. Jesus wants His disciples, the twelve and the other believers who would be connected to the twelve, like those women He talked about. You need to understand this. So I think by way of application... I would much rather preach this sermon in a believer context to equip you to be all the more empowered for 4th of July activities. Communicating the truth about the gospel so you're equipped and ready to do that and keep your sanity and understand that Jesus told us ahead of time there are going to be different responses. Then just make it an evangelistic kind of thing. Just one other thing, just one other footnote, and I just want to get on up on my soapbox for a minute about parables. Um please do notice that, that parables are not in the Bible to make the truth clear to everybody. It's just not what Jesus teaches. It's just not what Jesus teaches. He's going to make it clear to some, clearer even to some, by using a parable, but He's also going to mask it from others as an act of judgment. And that's pretty heavy. Now, it's a soapbox for me because so many times people who don't preach the Bible and they just do story time and storytelling things about themselves over and over and over again and everybody loves it. You know, you want me to tell you all about me because that's me like telling you about you instead of preaching God's word. And, and I'll say, I do this because, you know, Jesus taught in parables. <sighs> it sounds nice and I like illustrations and I like stories and you remember the stories and not the Never mind. <laughs> you know, so a good story is good. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a good story and, and use illustrations, but do notice I would never use the parables of Jesus to make that point because it's an act of judgment and concealing the truth from people. And how about this? You and I have never been given the right to hide the truth from people because we're not Jesus. Jesus can do that. He can give it clear to some and, and hide it from others. But what are we called to do? We're, we're called to bear witness. We're called to preach to everybody and proclaim to everybody. Not, hmm, I think I'm going to make this clear to some people and I'm going to hide it from other people. If you do that, you've got a Messiah complex. <laughs> okay, I'm just trying to make it clear to everybody and leave the hiding it up to Jesus. He can do that. Um, so I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, Let's illustrate like Jesus did, but let's just be careful about defending our story time um, by using parables. Okay, I feel better about myself um, and just uh, that and getting that off my chest. Now, comes the meaning. Verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Clear enough, Right? Think about that, the top of the Capitol building again. That guy sowing the seeds. Okay? It's the Word of God that's going out. Jesus was going all around preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom. He was sowing. He's the sower in that sense. He's going to send the disciples out soon after, and they're going to be the sowers because they're sowing the Word of God, which is synonymous in the gospel account here with the truth about the kingdom, the truth about the king, synonymous with the gospel. And so, as you think about the parable, the preacher, if you will, the herald, the ambassador, the missionary, the you and the me, whoever's communicating the truth from God's word, whoever's communicating the truth about the gospel, is the sower. That's what we do. We're giving the word of God out. We're giving the gospel out. We're giving the truth about, uh, about Christ out. Then we come soil number one, verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Verse 12 then says, then, or Mark 4 says, immediately. So it's quick, it's hasty. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Boy, there's a lot going on there. You, pro you, you proclaim the gospel. The, the, the word goes out, or the disciples do, or Jesus does. And Jesus says, as you're sowing, some of it falls on the footpath. 
Okay, and this is what you're going to do if you're a sower, because you're not just going, I'll put this seed here, and this seed here, and this seed here. You're trying to accomplish more uh, and more quickly, so some of it falls on the footpath. And what happens? Well, that's there for the birds, and, and Satan is like the bird, and he comes down and he takes it, and he takes it immediately. And he even tells us in this account that, that, that they may not believe. Well, a couple of things that are really important there. According to Romans chapter 10, we, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So, so we, we, we have to sow, we have to get the word of God out because if anybody's going to believe the gospel, they've got to hear the gospel. But here in some cases, it falls on the path and as soon as it falls there, the path being emblematic of somebody's heart, they, they hear it, Satan takes it away. Satan, who, by the way, Jesus really believes in, because in Luke chapter 4, Satan really tempted Jesus. And Satan, who is always about attacking God's word, has God said, back in Genesis 2, who likes to twist Scripture, who likes to pervert Scripture, who likes to question Scripture, he's got a habit of doing that. And so he's true to form here. You give the scriptural truth about Jesus Christ out, and Satan is just ready like a bird to swoop down and grab it. And some people's hearts are like that walking path. It doesn't go down in, and Satan takes it right away. What's the relevant for, relevance of, for your life and for my life? You communicate the gospel, and for some, their hearts are like that walking path, and it just sits there, and as soon as it goes, Satan takes it. What's important for us right about now, my friends? We like to be clear thinking, we like to be rational, we like logic, we like order, and all of those things are good. God is a God of order. We take the Bible, and we, we look at it, um, uh, and we analyze it, and we evaluate it, and words have meaning, and... But right now, by way of application, we need to remember that Christians aren't naturalists. Okay, Christians aren't rationalists. We should be rational, but we're not rationalists. In other words, here's where I'm going. Christians, Christianity is a, his, uh, excuse me, I was going to say historic, that's true. It is a supernatural religion. We, we don't believe in only what the eye can see. If you only believe in what the eye can see, you're not a Christian. Christians believe in heaven and hell, which we can't see. Christians believe in demons. Christians believe in angels. Christians believe in Satan. As sure as Jesus believed in Satan, we believe in Satan. And so by way of application, you've got to know that when you're communicating the gospel to people, you've got to know that there's more going on there than meets the eye. Stop acting like a non-Christian rationalist. But we fall into that. I do. Because I think if I could just communicate it clearly enough, and as long as I have a good enough argument and I can answer objections, they're going to believe. Jesus says, huddle up, boys and girls. <laughs> I believe in Satan. You should too. <laughs> and you've got to know the true gospel can go out, and that doesn't guarantee somebody's going to become a Christian so crucial and important. Talk about relevant. By way of application, right now, if I'm preaching the gospel, the truth about Christ, and I'm, I'm being faithful to the text, and I'm certainly trying to do that, or any given Sunday, I'm trying to do that, I should know and realize, and you should know and realize, that I'm not just a public speaker. I mean, right now, if I'm sowing the Word of God, the Word of truth is going out, right now, more than likely in a big group, for some, Satan is going, whoosh. And in your head, mm, I don't know, I don't think so. Has God said? I'm not really sure. Hum, hum. But do you believe that? If you're a Christian, you should. And take it out of my realm, because this is the public preaching kind of realm, and put it in your realm, and you're in the cubicle having an interesting conversation with a coworker who wants to know about this, that, or the other thing. Or you're on a job somewhere working. Or you're talking to one of your children or grandchildren or grandparents. Any realm. There's supernatural element involved. The world in which we live is made up of more than the eye can see. 
Christians believe that. By the way, this is one of the reasons we pray. God, please soften their heart. God, please do a work. Please, God, do this. Motivational speakers don't need to pray. They just need to have better arguments. We're sticking with the script. The gospel script that's been given to us and delivered to us that doesn't change, given the audience. But we do know that the responses are different. And talk about losing your sanity and losing sleep and losing who knows what if you think it's all up to you. Jesus was wise and caring enough to take those disciples and equip them and get them to know and understand before they go out this dynamic. I want you to get that dynamic. I want you to feel that sense of freedom that I need to be faithful to the gospel and the response. If it's not the response I'm looking for is not directly related to me needing to change my message, if that makes sense. It's a great, great kind of thing to know. More than the eye can see. Let's move on now to the second soil, the second heart condition, we might call it. Beginning in verse 13, it says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Now, the rock, if we look at the other accounts and we put all the pieces together, um, it, 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 we're not just talking about a, a plain old rock sitting on the surface. That, that could be true. If you're sowing seed and you're trying to make sure that most of it goes here, but you're not going to put them onesie-twosie, some's going to fall on the walking path, some's going to fall on the rocks, that, that's true. But what's in view here would be rocky soil. So it looks like good soil. And I'm saying that because when you look at the different gospel accounts and you look at the full picture, rocky soil. So it might look great, but there might only be this much depth. There might only be that much depth. And it looks like it fell on the right place, but there's all kinds of rocks in the ground. And here it falls on the rock, but, but do notice, they hear the word and they receive it. They respond and they respond positively in verse 13, right? I mean, there's eagerness. If it's with joy, they're thrilled, they're excited, they're eager, they're emotional. This is great. And how about this? They might look like the best ones. I mean, these are some seriously motivated people. This is exciting. This is great. And by the way, this is what makes my heart emote. I love this. I love communicating the gospel to people. And they're like, oh, thank you for that. That makes sense to me. I, 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 I'm believing that. I'm trusting that. And where do I sign up? And we're like, oh, this is awesome, you know? I preach the gospel and there's responses and, and maybe they're, you know, they're tears sometimes, tears of joy and brokenness. And you're like, I live for this. I'm on a spiritual high because I preach the gospel and there are people who are responding positively. This is awesome. Disciples would have been pumped too. Verse 13 then says, but these have no root. See, there's the rock. The rock is underneath. They have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, fall away. I'm not going to lie. That's going to hurt you if you're the one doing the gospel sharing, no matter what. You can even know this verse. You can know this verse in Greek. <laughs> you, you can know this verse and know it well. You can know the grammar and syntax and totally own it. And no matter what, it's still going to be one of those things that is great, great, great pain bringing. But there's a big difference between this is devastating, this hurts. And not knowing this, and you're a complete basket case and maybe being tempted to, to change that gospel message because you got to change it to get the people to stick, and that's a mess. I'm so glad that Jesus tells us this. I'm so glad that I can preach this to you who are Christians and say, you got to know this if you're going to be equipped to communicate the gospel to people. you got to know that there are going to be some people who respond in the quick here and now, and it's so exciting and so enthusiastic, and it's not going to last. you got to know that. You got to know that. I mean, think about Jesus of all people, who was the perfect evangelist. 
Did everybody believe who heard him? He couldn't have been clearer. Couldn't have been clearer. By who he is, he defines wisdom, order, clarity. Not everybody believed. He's helping his disciples understand that. He's helping us to understand that. Not everybody believed savingly, lastingly. Here, these, these folks believe, though. Some of the, some of the old um, English Puritans used to talk about assurance of salvation. And, and they would say, there are two important factors. Time and trials. Well, we know where they got it. English Puritans weren't right about everything by a stretch. But they were right about that because look at our text. <laughs> right there. The end of verse 13. And in time of testing, and in time of trials, in other words, they fall away. Time and testing are important factors. They're important factors. Life gets hard. Life gets difficult. Pressure comes. Trials come. That'll do one of two things. It will lead to, James chapter 1, endurance. Testing brings endurance. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, tests, because it produces endurance. But here we have trials and tests, and it produces an exposure of faux faith, of false faith, non-saving faith. So we need to know that. Think about an athletic event. You know, that, that hard training and, the, and going through all the hard training. You might show up and you might have, you know, everybody might have the same, same I said first hour, I'll do it again. They might have the same outfits. Um, I had to turn in my man card first hour for saying outfits for sporting events and I'll do it again this time. Um, you know, look at the football players. They have nice outfits. And you're like, hey, where's your man card? You know, they're uniforms, pal. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> You can have all the same uniform, same shoes, all the same stuff. But when the test comes, there are going to be those who excel and get stronger and finish. And there are going to be those who are left behind by the roadside because they just had the uniform. And the trial actually led to their exposure of not being genuine. So we have that here in this passage. It's a heavy one. You know people like this. I know people like this. They're the ones who, who, who said, I, I believe, I'm first to believe, you know? They're the ones sometimes who've been mentors. Sunday school teachers. Maybe the person who evangelized you. Because they were so excited and they were thrilled about the gospel and about what Christ has done and it makes sense to them. And they respond, so they want to tell everybody else. And you could just say, that, that just leads to the total upside-downness of my faith and I have nothing to believe and nothing to stand on if that's the case. And, and Jesus is saying, hold on! That's why I'm equipping you to understand these things. It was the Word of God, but there are different kinds of responses. And over time, notice the second soil, it's not immediate. We don't know how long this is. Long enough to have there be time and testing, and that could be not that long, but longer than immediate, or a long time. This is one I don't even like to think about, because I start thinking about the people that I've known who've professed to be Christians, who are the ones, you know, who are going to say, oh, well, I'll fund that project, because I want to give to the Lord's work, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll go downtown and do evangelism, and I'll be a part of that, and I'll do... And you go, some of those people, some of those people don't profess Christ today. Time and trials showed that they weren't the real deal. That's going to hurt no matter what, but it ought not derail the train because Jesus says, let me explain to you what's going to happen when you communicate the gospel to people. It's what happened to Jesus. 
Now, I suppose this is as good a place as any others um, to just pause momentarily. What do you think? Is it a good place? I don't know. Um, yeah, we, we, we probably should. We should probably do this. Um, this is a favorite passage. We're going to get back to the soils in a minute. This is a favorite passage. Um, if you want to teach, you can lose your salvation. Okay, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. You shouldn't either. <laughs> okay, but if you believe you can lose your salvation, you're going to use this passage. I know you're going to use this passage. You're going to use this, and you're going to use Hebrews chapter 6. Um, just to pause momentarily, and I don't want to get too far off track, but it's an error, I think, to say you can lose your salvation. We'll talk about why. Starting with John 10 that we read earlier. <laughs> I'll lose none of them anyway. But it's also an error on the other side to say, oh no, you can't lose your salvation. And as long as you say you're a Christian, you are a Christian. That's also an error. There needs to be a category in your understanding of Christianity for such a thing as an empty profession of faith, a false profession of faith, a kind of faith that isn't a saving faith. Remember, the demons believe. They have faith, according to the book of James. There needs to be a category like that or you're going to be confused. When I was first a Christian, I thought you could lose your salvation. A lot of new Christians think that. And if you're like that, I'll be patient with you. I'm so glad somebody was patient with me. I mean, I was listening to Calvary Chapel and it was all about Calvary Chapel because they teach the Bible and that was really good. Calvary Chapel teaches you can lose your salvation. Which isn't so helpful. And so somebody was nice to me and they said, you know what, it's so good you're learning. It's so great. Um, those are good and important passages. Just, just, just keep reading your Bible. You know, stay in your cage. <laughs> keep, the, <laughs> keep the lock on. Um, and what they were saying to me was, you don't need to start teaching this. <laughs> okay, just keep reading your Bible. Um, keep growing. Um, and then let's talk. And by the way, read Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth nor angels. Nor, anyway, um, read John chapter 10. I lay my life down for the sheep and I will lose none of them. They're in my hand. They're in the Father's hand. Talk about double security. Okay, passage after passage like that. And I'm just thankful that they, they helped me with that. And eventually I, I came to the conclusion, you can't lose your salvation, which is pretty historic Protestant. You can't lose your salvation. But there is is a place for somebody who says they're a Christian and they're not really a Christian. Like in our passage. 1 John 2.19 is another good passage you might want to write down. Especially if you're just working through this like I was working through this. 1 John 2.19 says, those who went out from us were never really of us. That is an important reality in your understanding of Christianity. Those who went out from us were never really of us. There is such a thing as somebody you're going to know and I'm going to know and they're going to be excited and enthusiastic and make a profession of faith. And over time, because of trials, they're no longer going to profess. You need a category for that. By the way, now that we're really off track, because you guys told me to do this. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Usually what happens... Um, historically what happens, pe Christians, and I'm not talking about individual Christians because it's new to us and we're trying to sort it all out when we first become Christians or things like that, but um, in, in academic and more thought out circles, usually what happens, people who believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, really strong on those things, it's all of God's grace. They don't believe you can lose your salvation. Hold that thought. People who aren't quite so clear and strong on those things, or they're actually denying those things, either weak or not committed at all, believe you can lose your salvation. That makes total sense. Because if salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith or trust in Christ alone, nothing that we do, nothing that we merit, how can you lose that? You can't lose what you yourself didn't earn. Right? It can't be done. But if somehow it's God and me, 
working together and God saw something good in me and, and maybe I reached out first and then, then he responded and I'm doing that thing over here. You had something to do with earning it, so it makes sense you can lose it. And so his, historically, that's kind of how things line up. Over here, we're going to say Romans chapter 8. Romans eight twenty nine. Those whom he foreknew or foreloved, that's before time begins. He also predestined before time begins. He also called, now we're in time, called by the Holy Spirit. He also justified in time, justification by faith and only by faith. He also glorified, now we're into the future. That's Romans 8, 29 and 30. And you say, that, that's this camp over here saying, hey, it's all of God from start to finish. You can't undo, you can't lose what you yourself didn't earn by your own works. And so, we come back to our passage. I think it's a good balance passage. You can't lose salvation, but you could be a professing Christian who really isn't a Christian. Okay? That's why, historically, a lot of times people have said they believe in perseverance of the saints. Okay? It's not just saying, I'm a Christian now. It's not just that. It's, if God has saved me, life shows it. Life shows it. Philippians 1.6 he, God, who began, how about this? Who began a good work in me. I didn't do the beginning. He who began a good work in me will be faithful to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I've got some unfinished projects in my garage. God has no unfinished projects in his garage. Okay? He always finishes what he starts. It's important to remember that. I lose none of them. That's why we read that earlier this morning. But I don't want to take away from our passage, there's really a place for somebody who says they're a Christian and they're actually not a Christian. Back to where we were, you know people like that. Hate to break the news to you. Unless God calls you home real soon, and that might be nice, you're going to know more people like that. And it's going to hurt. Remember the parable of the soils. So that amidst the hurt, you can keep your spiritual sanity. It's really important. Jesus told us ahead of time there were going to be different kinds of responses. Let's move on now to the third soil, which is similar to the second soil. It says in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they were those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So notice there is fruit. There, there's uh, some kind of sign of life. There's apparent life, but there's not fruition to the end. There's not a harvest to borrow from Matthew's gospel account. The weeds take over just like in a garden and choke things out and steal the nutrients and the plant, the real thing you're looking to grow actually dies. Notice that this is the positive. This, this is the positive life kind of thing going on. So soil number two, it's hard because of testing and uh, testing going on. So um, I believed in Jesus and now things aren't going so good for me. And so I'm not sure if I believe in him anymore because I thought I was just going to have a happy life if I'm a Christian. And my life isn't happy uh, through the trial. And here's the opposite one. Man, I, it's going good. I got, I, I got the girl I was looking for, you know. I'm willing to, 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 to sell out for her. She's my number one priority. Or if you're a girl, I got the guy I was looking for. And now all of a sudden that eclipses everything else and priority number one. And, and you know what? I was kind of down and out and Jesus really kind of gave me a boost and gave me hope. And now, you know, I got a good job and I've got an inheritance and life is going great. I got some extra work on the side and got a lot of R&R &R time and big vacations. And man, my life is happy and I'm healthy and just like the weeds the good life has become your savior you don't need Jesus so much you're busy having to steal from a book title your best life now 
And that might be what shows your faith or someone's faith to be a sham faith. And again, this one is like, Jesus isn't saying you can't have wealth. Jesus isn't saying you can't have inheritance. Jesus isn't saying you can't have the girl or the guy you're looking for. Jesus isn't trying to rain on everybody's parade. But there are some who say they're Christians. And when the good life comes to them, you see that that allegiance to Christ, and He's my all in all, and He's my life, and He's my hope, and He's my everything, is shown to either be true or not true. With the temptation that comes. Again, sadly, you know people like this. And I know people like this, and we will know people like this. To be a good Christian, you need to know this. To be a, a, a sane Christian, you need to know this. To be a good member of Omaha Bible Church, therefore you need to know this. Now what I hope doesn't happen is we just become you know, calloused by the whole thing. Been there, done that. I'm not going to invest my life in anybody because I know what happens. I'm tempted to be that guy. Because sometimes the most promising quote-unquote disciples crash and burn. Here's where we, we, we love Jesus because <laughs> He knew it all. And He shepherded anyway. But what can happen is you can have encouragement through it all. I was talking to a friend yesterday and he said, he was burdened and, and he was troubled and he said, you know, this guy was trying to help. He, he's just kind of got back into society and, and, and I'm trying to help him acclimate and I'm trying to help him understand who Jesus is and I'm sharing the gospel with him and, and he seems to be the most promising guy that I'm investing my life in. He said, you know, and he texted me last night at 1, which would be Saturday morning at 1 and said, I'm done with it all or something like that. He said, you know, it just hurts. I said, yep. The more we talked, I said, you know, one good thing is, one good thing is, at least Jesus told us about this kind of thing ahead of time. So that we don't have to think, number one, our message was wrong. Or number two, our method was wrong. That Jesus is wrong, the gospel is wrong. We don't have to conclude that. Because Jesus at least told us ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. And he said, yeah, like the parable of the soils. I said, yeah, like the parable of the soils. My friend was a pretty new Christian, too. I'm so glad somebody helped him understand, you know, the huddle. So you can keep your sanity. So you can be steadfast and faithful. Even though this kind of thing is going to happen. And even though it's a heartbreaker. Let's move on to number four. Number four, finally, we'll wrap things up here. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Lots to look at, but maybe, maybe if you just notice that last word, at least in the ESV translation that I'm preaching from today, patience. They bear fruit with patience. There have been these time markers as we've gone. There's the immediate taking away. There's this, there's this quick response, positive. And here, patience. Over time, might not have looked like the sharpest crayon in the box. <laughs> might not have been the most emotional or flamboyant or exciting. But genuine saving faith over, it's a time marker, over time, with patience. There's genuine fruitfulness, sustained fruitfulness. As Jesus elaborates on this, as is recorded in other gospel accounts, there's a harvest. The harvest might be different. The harvest is different with different people. But if they're really Christians, there really is a harvest. And it's not just a quick fruit that actually produces no crop. He's talking about time. And this is really what 
true Christianity is about. This is, this is, this is the, the, the positive. This is the one positive amongst them. Now, I wish in some ways that I could just know who these people are, right? But as the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, you know, people don't have, you know, on their backs E for elect or something like that. You just go lift their shirt up, get you in some trouble. But anyway, I mean, we, we, we just don't even know who these people are. And so what do we do? What do you do in your life at the barbecue or at the cubicle or at the daycare or whatever? What, what you do is you sow the seeds. You proclaim the word. You proclaim the gospel. Theologians say this is the general call. Okay, we, we give it to everybody. That's what we do. We herald Christ, preaching Christ to every human being we could possibly preach Christ to. But then we also know that the Holy Spirit is the one who has to do the effective work, who has to change the heart. Theologians call that the effectual call. So we give the general call to everybody, knowing full well that not everybody's going to respond, but that's not up to us because we're not the Holy Spirit, knowing full well that the Holy Spirit will use God's Word because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, Romans chapter 10, and there will be those who do respond, and they respond savingly. This reminds me of Acts chapter 16. Lydia, I think it's Acts 16, Lydia, here's what the Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel, and the Lord opens her heart. Well, the Lord does it. That's an effectual call. That's, that, that's what He's doing. And so, once again, this is a great equipping hour. This is a great equipping time for us. You, you all came to an evangelism training seminar and you didn't even know it. I mean, really, that's, this is what's going on here. You can go out and preach Christ to anybody and everybody, and you should because we're ambassadors, and that's what we do. And how about this? We have good news to proclaim. And we know ahead of time there's going to be at least four different kinds of responses. And we're going to leave the converting up to God by the power of the Spirit. But He does work through means of proclamation. Encouraged? I hope you are encouraged. I want you to be tremendously encouraged and to unashamedly preach Christ. To not have to wonder if you need a different method. You need better arguing techniques and you need better uh, all that. You don't need that. You need to be faithful to what the truth is, faithful to the gospel and knowing full well that different people will respond different ways. The work is not up to you in that sense. It's up to Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you so much for your instruction that you give to us. Thank you for giving us your son who spoke of these things and he spoke clearly. Help us to be like Paul who was a fool for the gospel. He was a fool for Christ. He was willing to tell the truth about Christ to anybody and everybody, leaving the results up to you. Help us to be men and women who are like that in Omaha and the surrounding community. And Lord, we pray for others around the world that they would be um, faithful ambassadors, trusting in you for the results, knowing full well that you're the one who has to work in someone's heart just like Lydia's. Encourage us with this today. In Jesus' name, amen.